we are literally thankful for the privilege, but sorry for the circumstances. And the other thing I'm sorry for is that we didn't get moving quickly enough to get you here for Sunday school. I always appreciate any opportunity uh, to sit in the Sunday school class here. It is always a tremendous challenge and edifying in my own heart. I was talking with somebody this week, and I can't remember what we are talking about, but there's several things that I'm praying regarding. I'm not an old man, but I'm still praying regarding the remainder of my life. And if you saw our garage, and if you saw my office space, you would believe it. But one of the prayers I have is I, when the Lord calls me home, I want to have a whole bunch of unfinished projects left behind. I really don't ever want to finish the projects. I don't ever want to come to a point that things are finished or completed. And it's a tremendous joy when we know that God has called us for His glory for every day that He gives to us. Um, I am thankful for that. The last song that we just sang is one of my favorites. It's one that uh, you know me that I cannot sing, but I do sing. And when our children were growing up, we didn't use lullabies, rockabye baby, and all that stuff. We sang hymns to them, or Jesus loves me, or the wise man built his house upon the rock. Uh, but this was a song that I would often sing, especially if it was my time to be walking them during the night. Uh, that I'd be singing this one. And the kim- kids came to call that uh, the thunder and lightning song. And when a thunderstorm would come up, oftentimes they'd want to sing the thunder and lightning song. Uh, But it does, it draws us back to God, how great thou art that he holds each one of those in his hand. This morning, if you would please turn to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to go through this um, somewhat of a summary of this proverb. It's part of our memory program this year for Calvary Baptist Church memorizing Proverbs chapter 1. It's one that is so relevant for today. Yet when we stop and think, every word of God's word is relevant for today. Uh, But as we uh, read some of these uh, verses in here, it's it's like somebody is writing an editorial of what we see taking place with the rebelliousness uh, that's going around today. And I'm thankful that the Lord led Pastor to have us to memorize this one during this period of time. Uh, I preached a message from this several weeks ago while the webs were involved in uh, transitioning from house to house to house. I had the opportunity and preached this one. And really the focus of preaching from the beginning was for us to have understanding of what we're memorizing. I know you all do scripture memory together corporately as a church and I hope individually. So often we memorize scripture because it's program. Instead of memorizing Scripture, to be meditating upon Scripture. For I used to have a fantastic memory that I could memorize things easily, readily. And now I can still memorize, but the recall is a bit more of a challenge. And it's embarrassing, it's humbling to me to realize that I can't have it memorized, but I cannot recall it in the way that I used to be able to recall it. Uh, that when we're memorizing, if you're truly memorizing, you're meditating on it while you're memorizing. It's the only way that you can get it instilled 
into your heart and into your mind. And it's so critical that we learn to meditate upon God's Word. Uh, I'm going to ask a question that I ask of Calvary. And I don't want any hands raised. I want the answer in your heart and before God. But have you memorized at least one Bible verse this past week? And let me ask you, can you look back over the year and can you say that a few hiccups here and there, but I have been memorizing at least one Bible verse a week over the last year. And really, I would challenge you, if you're not memorizing God's Word at at least that kind of a pace, you're pointing toward backsliding. I can remember when I got to college at Clemson, I was saved in a Southern Baptist church, very weak church that went downhill after I got saved. And I can remember Campus Crusade and the Navigators and Sovereign Grace Fellowship, the three primary uh, Christian organizations on campus. And there was more so with the Navigators and Sovereign Grace than with Campus Crusade, Crusade, but I saw these people that had memorized Scripture. I thought, wow, man, I could never do that. And then I started going to a Sunday school class that met at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings at East Clemson Baptist Church. It was a Southern Baptist church. And I could go there for Sunday school and then drive home, which was about 10 miles away, and be in my church for Sunday, for the Sunday school and morning service. But Dr. Dunn taught Sunday school, a man that the Lord greatly used in my life and in Pastor Webb's life, uh, a man that discipled both of us. Uh, but I can remember the Sunday that he announced that he was going to start a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And he stood at the front of the Sunday school class and he quoted the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, and quoted it. And he's the one that really challenged us to start memorizing Scripture. And I would plead with you, if you're not memorizing Scripture, don't give yourself an excuse. But start working on it now. I would encourage you to do so. Uh, but as we look at this, if you would please stand, I'm going to read through because... We're going to, it's a little different than normal message, but I want to read through this entire proverb. And if you're able, please stand and follow along with me as I read this to you. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. To give satility to the simple to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause, let us swallow them up alive as the grave, and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance, we shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. 
My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net, net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood, and they lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my reproof. They despised all my reproof. They would, not, they would none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices. For the running away, turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, how thankful we are again for the privilege to be able to be here this morning. Father, we thank you that we can not only sing, but we know in our hearts the truth of how great thou art. Father, we thank you that we can come before the very God of creation, and those of us that have been truly born again can come before thee, calling you Father. And Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've given to us that have also allowed the freedom and the safety to be able to gather together here this morning. We pray that it's been honoring to thee. And Father, we pray now that we would honor thee through the preaching of thy word. I pray that you would help each one of us to set aside any thought or distraction that would draw away from the working of thy spirit to give the entrance of thy words into our hearts today. We know that each individual that is here or that is hearing this has a need in their heart, has spiritual needs in their lives. And Father, we pray for the work in thy spirit through thy word today, for thy glory and for those things that we need in our lives. Father, I pray that you'd help me to be able to present your truth in a way that is clear without any confusion. In Jesus' name we thank thee and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> In Mark chapter 7, Jesus was giving some instruction to his disciples, beginning with verse 14. And when he referred to Jesus, when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. 
There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come unto him, come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive? And whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him. Here Jesus was talking to those that were following him. And in this portion, he starts out with two commands to them. Hearken and understand. Now hearken literally means give audience to or to perceive what's being said. And then to understand literally means to put together, to comprehend it, to mentally put it together. And as we're looking here in the Proverbs, as uh, Solomon was beginning the introduction to this collection of Proverbs that he was writing to his son, he was giving warning to him, he was giving instruction to him that Jesus repeated again. And it's repeated to us today as well. And Proverbs 1, the parallel that he gives here in verses 5 and 6, a wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Proverbs is a book that you all may have gone through at some time here at Lighthouse Baptist, uh, University Baptist, the church where I first started getting grounded. The young adults and college and career Sunday school teacher did a series that went years and years and years through the book of Proverbs. It's one that when you're reading it, it's, not like it's a smooth carrying through of an account. It's bullets for memorizing. Sometimes they repeat themselves, but it's bullets. And notice as he was putting this together, he started with the instruction to us that a wise man will hear and increase in learning. So often we hear, but we don't increase in our learning and our understanding at all, do we? We hear and we say, well, that's good to know. We'll, I'll follow it away some way. When we were growing up, memorization was a key part of education. It didn't matter what the curriculum was, what the course was. You had to memorize the multiplication tables, the phonics, the ABCs, history facts, the periodic chart uh, for chemistry. We had to memorize all of those things and be able to work with them from memory, which increased uh, the brain, but it also helped with the understanding, getting the understanding that is there. I can remember the first profession I loved in in college. He said, you don't need to memorize all these facts. You need to know where to find it. I really regret the day I ever heard that phrase given to me. It is important for us to know where to look for resources, but we've become so sluggard. We're sluggards. We pull out the phone, Google or whoever you're talking to, tell me and give me the answer instead of us really learning the facts and being able to recall them. Uh, Jennifer's mother's lawyer was a dairy farmer that decided that farm families needed somebody that understood the law, went back to law school. He was an Ohio State grad. Uh, he was our age, was in a tragic tractor accident as a younger man that really caused a lot of physical problems for him. was on dialysis, but he was a hard worker and brilliant. And even down to his last days, his daughter said when they go in, 
he would name every president in order of the United States to show that his mind was still sharp and to keep his mind sharp. Uh, we don't do it. We'll all look it up of who is this president or who is that president. But here, what we're being commanded, a wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. And notice the purpose of it, to understand a proverb and the interpretations, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. And that matter of dark sayings isn't something that's mysterious, that's hard to be, you know, that is maybe even a little bit questionable of what's going on. It's literally a perplexing question. It's something that's difficult to understand, and it's trying to gain what the true understanding of that is. So as we begin to look at this book of Proverbs, we need to understand that words have meaning. It's not fluid like our culture says today. Words have meaning. Looks have meaning. How we look at something or somebody has meaning as well. But we're guilty too many times of hearing a word and thinking, well, I know the general meaning of that word, but we don't really take the time to find out what it is. Or we may use words that we've often heard not even knowing what the meaning is. First time I preached at our church that was our same church, after we came forward and the Lord had called us the mission field, I preached uh, from a passage in Second Timothy, and I used a term in there that I heard all the way through school, high school, college, Duke career, a very common, I don't know if it's still used commonly or not. And I used that term in there. And after the message, Pastor Callahan told me, he was very gracious. And he said, Brother Lonnie, you use such and such a term. And he said, I have a feeling you have no idea where that came from. And I did not. And when he told me what, where it came from, uh, read, embarrassed, and brokenhearted that I had ever used it. So we need to be careful. And one word that we hear today is oligarchy. We're talking about our government becoming an oligarchy. How many of you truly know you could give a definition right now for what an oligarchy is? One raised the hand. I have a feeling there's a few more. You know, I was using it all of a sudden. I was with Benjamin. I said, you know, I'm not really sure that I know what that word means. And he told me the definition. Then I looked it up afterward. And it's just we're a very small group exercises absolute control for their own corrupt and selfish purposes. That's what we see going on, but we use words and we don't know what the meanings of those words are. So as we go through this book of Proverbs, we need to understand what the words mean too, uh, to be able to have better understanding. So what is a proverb? You know, that's just something, we have Chinese proverbs, you know, all these different proverbs that we talk about. Jesus used proverbs, they were called parables. It's the exact same word. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's translated proverb or parable. And we understand from Scripture in Jesus' teaching the purpose that he gave parables, wasn't it? It was for those really that have understanding to be able to grow in knowledge and in understanding. So as this book of Proverbs was written to the fool, to the one who has no spiritual understanding, there's true nuggets of wisdom for them, but they're not going to have the full understanding of what those Proverbs mean for their life. <clears throat> At the very beginning, he gave the very purpose for writing the book. It's easier when we know the purpose for something, isn't it? And he said it's to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, 
to the young man knowledge and discretion. So the very purpose that he gave it. But also in this chapter, uh, we're given the fact that there, he was warning that there is a spiritual warfare that's going on. In verses 10 through 23, uh, very clearly the identification of the spiritual warfare that is a very real thing. And it's something that we need to be reminded of. That the spiritual warfare is a very real thing. We become careless about that many times. Sometimes we think, well, that's more of a mystical kind of a thing. No, everything that's going on around us is a part of the spiritual warfare. And it's to draw us away from the things of God and from thinking upon God's word. We need to be very careful that we don't ever allow ourselves to become simple-minded. And as we're studying scripture, understanding in the midst of the spiritual warfare, God has given this to us as part of the armor that we're to be putting on, to be equipping ourselves with. as for the purpose of the spiritual warfare. And then there are some essential terms in here that we have to have an understanding of that we're going to take a look at. But beginning with the reason that he wrote it, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. That matter of uh, knowing is literally, it's not the head knowledge, but it's to understand it, to discern what's going on. And as we're memorizing, meditating on God's word, it needs to be for that absolute purpose to be able to have the wisdom or the skill but the wisdom and instruction, to know wisdom and instruction. And that word instruction is one we need to look at for just a few minutes. Uh, it's one that uh, has been lost today. We would say instruction is just standing up and telling somebody how to do something, or this is the way you do it. I am not the most mechanically minded guy there ever was. I hate it. I'm just, it's not an understanding or gift that God has given to me. I'm working on some baseboards where we had put it, have a new cold air return put in. I have a 10-inch compound miter saw that I got a number of years ago. Still has the original, had the original blade on it. And when I cut the first piece of molding yesterday, there was more smoke coming out than there was sawdust coming out. And being the industrious man I am, I thought, well, I can wait and change this later. So there's this mental warfare that was going on in my mind of now or later, now or later. Uh, well, it's not going to take me later than now. It's going to be easier on the motor and on me if I do it now. So I went up and got the instructions, and really all it was was loosen one screw. Following the instructions, loosen the screw so you can raise up the blade guard. Now, the, battle, the mental battle I had going on the whole time is, what if I loosen it too far and it falls out, and I can't ever get the thing lined up to get it back in there again? No, Lonnie, the instructions are here. Follow the instructions. So I got it backed out. Raised it. it didn't take me five minutes. It couldn't have been simpler. But as I was looking at the pictures, I had this battle going on. I followed the instructions. That's not what this is talking about right here. The word instruction here is a word that literally means to discipline with chastening. So instruction means to discipline with chastening. Why is that so critical? If there's no chastening, what do we do? We go right back to our old way, don't we? When we've been instructed how to do something, we go right back to the way it used to be. Now, the chastening might be a big fat zero on a test because I didn't show all the steps that the teacher said we're supposed to show on there. The chastening in the old days may have been a wooden ruler that was not used to measure the length of anything whatsoever. 
or it may be some time with dad, uh, but the chastening that needs to take place. And here, when we read this, we need to understand God chastens his children as well. He chastens us in our instru- when he's instructing us, and it's something for which we ought to be thankful that he does chasten us. So when, as we're reading and studying God's word, and as this proverb was being written really to Rehoboam, to Solomon's son, but through inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us today as well, the purpose of the Proverbs was to know wisdom and instruction. Now, when Pastor Callahan called me aside and told me what I had said, what it meant, that was instruction from this perspective. It was absolute love. It was giving me an instruction. He didn't use the wooden ruler, but I tell you what, nothing could have penetrated or hurt worse than what that did at that time that I would have said something, especially from a pulpit, not knowing what those words... And it's a term you may have well used, too, in the past. I'm not going to tell you what it is, so don't come up and ask me afterward uh, what it is. Uh, And it's one that nobody, even back in the 60s, would never have considered it as a vulgarity back in the 60s. So that's how old it is, but it's important for us to know what the meanings mean. So to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. And again, and I've mentioned this many times, I think even here, is to perceive, to come to that full understanding uh, of the words that are given to us, not the ideas, but the words that are given. And we need to be diligent to search and to study. That means sometimes doing cross-referencing in God's Word. That means using tools that we have access to. It means maybe asking uh, your pastor or one of the deacons, teacher, what something is meaning to get that understanding. But to start out this whole book, to spend this time on the purpose that it's being written, it's to know these things, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity that we see here in verse number three. That matter of receiving the instruction, it requires respect. Jennifer and I were talking yesterday of a, um, somebody that we're praying for that it's a younger mom has a young child that she's probably already lost the child. The child has no respect for his mother. And we see her now trying to, uh, she'll chasten him, she'll spank him, whatever. Uh, but there's no respect for mom. It's been lost and it's not being built to be reestablished. So it doesn't matter how much instruction is given. And as we see, the horrible teens. The horrible teens usually exist when the respect for the parents was not established at a young age with the child because, believe it or not, teenagers still need to be instructed and sometimes still need to be disciplined. And sometimes the teenager is bigger than dad. And if that respect is not there, it's not going to go anywhere. What's well, that same relationship with God and with God's Word? Well, when it wrote here to receive the instruction, there has to be that respect of God. We talked about the fear of God as we go through here from the both the fearful way as well as the reverence aspect of it. So in order to receive instruction, there has to be respect, to receive the instruction of wisdom. And the word that's used here for wisdom literally means uh, to make circumspect. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 that we're to walk circumspectly not as fools, but as wise. 
And that's the same thing that's being talked about here to receive the instruction of being circumspect, of being able to look around and discerning what's going on. It's not just we're looking to heaven. We're looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And at the same time, we have to be looking around and discerning what's going on around us in order to know how to respond, in order to know how to act. The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. You know, the evil isn't always right here, right in the middle of the path going forward, is it? I can remember driving through the West Virginia mountains while we were on deputation after dark. And, you know, why do these thoughts pop into your mind all of a sudden, sometimes in a way that is not normal? But for some reason, uh, and it was late at night, this thought popped in my mind of, what if a deer pops from the side and hits the side of our van? or a bear, uh, you know, coming down, a common incident that takes place. You know, we need to be aware of it, but why all of a sudden become almost overwhelmed with it? And it was a matter of no praying, God, you're in control of those deer too, of controlling. But at the same time driving, what you do, you're looking ahead, but you're being circumspect, aren't you? Looking to see if there's a deer or something that's going to jut out across the road uh, to possibly cause an accident. So, here to receive the instruction of literally becoming circumspect of wisdom and of justice. That's a matter of what is right or just. It means that we have to understand that there is right and wrong. No, it's not a gray area. It's right and wrong. And we have to come to understand that. And as we understand that, we have to live by it. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. We had an out-of-office leadership uh, workshop uh, retreat with Duke one time and I don't know where uh, even human psychology could make any sense in this but one of the things we had to do in this breakout was each one of us in our organization had to meet with every other one individually and I had to tell you what I like about you and what I don't like about you and we had to write it down and then when we all came back together we had to give a report of what we learned and on mine, one of the uh, ones that every single person said is, everything's black and white to me. Well, yeah, it's right or it's wrong. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't get any simpler than that. Why well, confuse things? Um, if you want to call that a positive or a negative, that's up to you. But yeah, that is where I do live. God's word is black and white, and that's where we're going to operate and where we're going to live by God's grace. And when we get out of bounds, we'll get back into bounds. So receive the instruction of wisdom and justice and judgment to be able to discern the judgment, a verdict of deciding a case, whether it's right or wrong. And equity. So to receive the instruction of all these things, we hear equality, equity, these laws that are coming up. Equity literally means an evenness. There's only one thing that's even, and that's God's word and the character of God. And that's what we need to understand. One of the problems putting in this baseboard is they used, uh, Jason know what it is, uh, or Nathan would know what it is. It's all the stuff that uh, seals the cold air return. It doesn't make a nice smooth surface to try to put molding around. So I'm going outside and trying to chisel out places for it to get in. No equity is that everything is even. 
in this world, it's only the things of God that are even. We all have different talents, different skills, different abilities, different health, and we work within that. But that's the equity we want to work around. To give satility to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. The reason these Proverbs are being written is to give these things. <clears throat> that matter of satility is a shrewdness or prudence. The prudent man perceiveth the evil to give that. Ability to the individual. And then to the simple. Uh, let me find my place back here again. You to tell you the simple. Who is the simple man? This is a term that's used almost exclusively in the book of Proverbs. It's only used three other times or four other times. Three times in Psalms and once in Ezekiel. But the simple man. Uh, and it, the word literally means one that is open-minded. It is not good to be open-minded. Scripture calls him the simple man. It's one that can be led either way. And we know the dangers. Uh, Proverbs 7 talks about the young man that was simple-minded and the destruction that he went to. And one of the purposes for writing this is to give instructions so that the uh, young man... Uh, for the one that is uh, simple-minded, that he's going to receive the prudence that he needs, the understanding that he needs. And then to the young man to give him knowledge and discretion. <clears throat> that matter of discretion is a purpose or a plan. That he needs to have a plan. It's one of the reasons it's so important to start teaching children from the very earliest of ages God's Word, because God's Word is our plan for our life. It's one of the reasons that we need to continue to remind ourselves all the way through life. God's word is the plan by which we are to walk. We need to establish that into our lives. And then the next aspect that I want us to look at is the reality of God's faithfulness uh, that we see in here. The purpose for the instruction and then the Faithfulness, we're going to look at verses 20 through 23, looking at God's faithfulness. <clears throat> Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. The faithfulness of God to reveal himself. The invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly discerned. They're clearly seen by those things that God has created that surround us. And here, the first aspect that we see of God's faithfulness is his calling. Notice, wisdom crieth, shouts out. For others to hear, she uttereth her voice in the streets. <clears throat> she crieth to proclaim in the chief places of the concourse. So every place that the people are going to be wisdom, which is referring to God, is crying out that she's doing everything she can to make her voice in order to be heard. And notice in verse 22, as that crying out takes place, it's a matter of addressing the heart of man. But as we look at this, we're going to see that man is the one that makes the choice. In verse 22, as wisdom cries out, the cry is, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? 
No question is there as to who wisdom is crying out to, the one that has a need in the heart. You may say, well, I'm mature. I'm not a simple-minded individual. There's not a one of us in here today that is not still simple-minded in some aspect in our life that we need understanding in, that we need to be grounded and growing in, that we have that open-mindedness in because we don't have the foundation established yet. And here, as God is addressing the heart, the cry of wisdom to each one is, how long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And what he's saying here, the word simplicity here literally means, how long will you love being seducible? How long will you love being naive and being seducible? That is a frightful thing to hear. That really should put a fear in each one of our hearts to realize when we talk about something of, uh, and sometimes one, there are things that we are to be not, And we use, well, I want to be simple-minded on these things. And it's not what we're meaning here. There are things of wickedness that we don't want to know the details of. We don't need to know the details of. That's a totally different perception of what we're talking about here. And we need to realize the importance of guarding our hearts. And it does come to the fact of acknowledging in our lives that there are things that we are simple-minded about and that we need to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to go on. And then the next step here is and the scorners hate scorning. So the, how long you simple ones will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning. That matter of scorning is a fearful matter. There's a progression of the heart. If you were to do a study through the book of Proverbs, you have the simple one, which is kind of the middle, can go either way. If they go the right direction, they go to grow in wisdom. But the simple one has a choice to make either grow in wisdom or to become a fool. And from a fool, ultimately, a scorner, which is the ultimate uh, end that they can come to. And here the matter of the scorners delight in their scorning. The word scorning here excuse me just a minute here. The word scorning here is one that literally means to make mouths at, to scoff at. And notice what it says, that they delight in their scorning. Now there's not a person sitting in here. Yeah, there's none young enough. There's not a person sitting in here that's not made a mouth at somebody when something was said or done that they didn't like. You might say, oh, I'm more mature than that. You were a two-year-old at one time. You were a five-year-old at one time. And almost everybody was a 20-year-old in here at one time. <laughs> and it goes on as we get older. We, we make mouths or faces when we hear something that we don't like or that we have a disdain for or that we're mocking or that we're going to rebel against, that we know that we're going to rebel against. And that's literally what that word scorning means. One that is making a mouth at, uh, that uh, they're uh, scorning at, the scorners notice the light in their scorning. It means that they have come to the point that they have become so hard-hearted that they're delighting. 
That's where we see most of our society today of what's presented in the media. That there's this scorning of anything that is true. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, darkness light and light darkness, bitter sweet and sweet bitter. That's uh, what we see and that's what the scorning is. And they delight in it. When you can see members that sit in the House of Congress and scorn and mock God, saying that God's name, mention of God doesn't have any place in this place, that is the epitome of what scorning is. And that's what wisdom is crying out. How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. And the word that's translated fools uh, through the book of Proverbs literally means a silly one or an arrogant one. A fool is somebody that is absolutely silly or arrogant. Uh, they're stupid. And I know that's a word you're not supposed to say if you're a two- or three-year-old, but they are. They're stupid. Uh, it's part of the definition for it, that there's an arrogance that is there. And notice what it says of the fool, that he hates knowledge. And then, in God and His mercy, first of all, He's identified those to whom He's calling out. And then in verse 23, He says, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Notice how it started out here. Literally, repent. Turn. Repent at my reproof. If there's no repentance, there's no salvation. But in the life of a Christian, if there's no repentance, there's no true seeking God's forgiveness either. It's the heart of the scorner making the face at God because I have a worldly sorrow, but not a godly sorrow for the sin that has taken place. So how long these scorners or and the fools hate knowledge? And notice God has given a choice. He has presented the sin and He has given the command but you have the choice to make. Every individual has the choice to make. And if the choice is made of one of the obedience, notice the promise that is given even here in the book of Proverbs. I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. The book of uh, Psalms starts with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. We see really the answer to what is being presented here from the matter of the simple ones, of the fools and of the scorners being answered. It's delighting in God's word. But God allows his free will to take place. And man has to make the choice as to what he is going to do with what God has given. If you look with me down, we're going to go ahead and jump down to verse 29. <clears throat> because it deals now with the matter of man's choice. And this is where we're really getting into the things that are taking place that we see going on around us today. I'm going to start with verse 24 to get to verse 29, because it sets the stage there. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. Notice the choice that man has made and as a result of man's choice, look what God says in verse 26. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. 
when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Notice the response that takes place here when man rejects what God has given, that God's judgment is going to be brought upon them uh, because of their refusal to even listen. They have made a choice, haven't they? In verse 29, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. There are so many that say, well, man doesn't really have a choice, that God is sovereign and he establishes everybody's step, who's going to do this and who's going to do that. No, every man has a choice, and that's what exactly what was said here. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. Literally, that they didn't select the fear of God to come under that fear of God. There's two words that are often translated for fear. Sometimes we mix them up, and there's an overlapping of what the meanings uh, hold. Uh, but we know earlier we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And here Solomon said, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So it was a choice that they could make to fear the Lord. And the matter that's translated here, fear, is that moral reverence. But it does contain with it the matter of fear. And I want to read Exodus twenty twenty, verse 20 to you, because it uses the same word, and it gives us a clear understanding that it's not just a moral reverence. There are too many who say, well, it's just a moral reverence. It's a respect for God. Listen to Exodus 20, verse 20. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that this fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Okay, he said, fear not. Was he saying, do not have a moral reverence for God? No. It was that fear of that we have of, I don't want the chastening. That fear of realizing there is a power there that has a force over me. But it's one that is tempered by the aspect of the moral reverence. So when Moses said here, fear not, it was not, don't have a moral reverence. Really, it was a calling to, you need to do right. And if you're doing right, then you don't have to fear. That's putting it in the right context. For God has come to prove you and that his fear may keep your fa- be before your faces that you sin not. So we have two aspects that are given to it in this command that was given from Moses. When he said, fear not, okay, you have to get your heart right doing right. And notice what the other aspect of it, that his fear may be before your faces for what person? Purpose, that you sin not. And that's the fear that's being talked about here, that you did not choose the fear of the Lord. You have to excuse me with my notes here this morning that was quick put together, coming over. Uh, And then we see here the consequences that are given of rebellion. And we need to understand that there are consequences to disobedience. One of the things I want to challenge you with, we're going to look at a little bit differently this evening. When we see chastening coming upon a sinful nation, when we see chastening coming upon a sinful world, there is a sorrow, but at the same time there ought to be thanksgiving and joy because it's the holiness of God. It's the justice of God and the judgment of God that's being brought forward. 
And here we see the truth uh, of that chastening that's going to take place in verse 26. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. And the word used for fear here is a totally different one. It's used again uh, in this, uh, in verse 27, verse 33. This one is the one that means it's a terror. It's an alarm. It's a fear. It's oh, when the music of Jaws starts coming that that shark is coming to swallow. Uh, it's that kind of fear. It's not a reverential thing at all. It is a fear of run uh, kind of thing. That's what this word fear here means. And what God is giving here in the instruction of the judgment that's going to come is how intense it's going to be, that there's going to be calamity, that it's going to be in such a way that there is going to be this horror, this fear taking place in your life of wanting to run. And notice what God's response is to it. I will laugh. Psalm 2, we read of that after God goes to the part of the nations raging and rebelling against him, the laughter that God's going to mock those that have mocked him. And when the fear cometh, and he said, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. And I want you to understand as we read these verses, there's no implication of if. There's no implication of might. It's when, when you have rejected my stretched out hand, when you have rejected my counsel, my judgment is going to come upon you and it's going to be as calamity. It's going to be as destruction, as a whirlwind coming. It's going to be as destruction. And to come to understand that once that point has been crossed, God knows when that point is, there's no turning back. He said that they're going to seek me early, but they shall not find me. They're going to call out to me, but I'm not going to answer them. When we were in Kingston, there was a lady that we worked with, and she clearly came to the understanding of her need for salvation. And before she moved, one of the final things she said is, God and I have an agreement. And she was going to continue living her immorality until she was ready. No, she had made her choice. And that's where she fell at this point. And we need to understand for our nation the same principles are taking place here that the time will come that God's judgment will take place upon any nation that rebels against him. In verse 30 he said, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Uh, They would, that literally means that they were not willing to consent to any of his counsel. And they literally despised, they literally scorned his chastening and his reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Here we have an Old Testament account of what's told to us in Romans chapter 1 when Paul was writing and he said that the time will come that men will turn them, that God will turn men over to their own lust when they have rejected him. When they knew God and glorified him not as God, he will turn them over to their own lust. Uh, and we have that same account. That's what essentially what the uh, Solomon is writing here. <clears throat> Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. They made the choices, and that's what's going to destroy them. They're not going to be able to accuse God 
They're not going to be able to accuse an abusive relationship. They're not going to be able to accuse the school that they were in. They're not going to be able to accuse the church that gave them false teaching. They made the choices as God revealed himself to them. They made the choices, and as a result, they have chosen the path they're on. But I want us to close with the blessing of God's reward to those that do choose to hearken unto him. Verse 33, But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Notice the broadness here. Whoso hearkeneth anybody. Every, that's written to every one of us that is in here. It's written to every individual. Whoso hearkeneth unto me. Uh, that word hearkeneth literally means to hear intelligently, but it's written in such a way that it means it continues to go on and on and on. It's not broken. Uh, I'm humbled by the words that Howard spoke this morning, but it's a charge that we need to hear over and over today for our lives. Notice that unbroken continuity. The life of a Christian is one that is going on and on and on and on. There is no retirement. We're not retiring from serving the Lord until we're absent from these bodies. And that's literally what the picture is here. But whoso hearkeneth until you take your last breath, hearkeneth unto me, shall dwell safely and be quiet from the fear of evil. And that matter of being quiet literally means to be in a peaceful place. And the word fear is the one that we looked at a few minutes ago. uh, Fear from any alarm or terror or dread of all evil. Notice, and I know the chapter divisions are not in the originals. They've been broken. But for the portion that we're looking at this morning, the portion that we're ending in, after God gave... Uh, through Solomon's writing, the instruction of why the book of Proverbs was being written, gave instruction of the spiritual warfare that's taking place, gave instruction of the choice that's given to us that every individual makes, gave us the instruction of the judgment of God that comes. He saved the dessert for last. All that warning that was given, but then notice what is given. For those... The hark and those that do choose to follow God to continue going on shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Application for our lives today. Bottom line is it really doesn't matter how bad it gets outside these doors. If you're walking in the light of God's word, if you are hearkening unto the word of God, applying it into your life, Look at the promise that God has given to us right here. We shall dwell safely and be quiet from fear of evil. You say, but brother, we read accounts of Christians being martyred and this and that even in our own country, uh, in the history of our country. How is that dwelling safely? Their soul is resting safely with the Lord. That's why we can read the history right here in our own state of Baptist forefathers that were persecuted in horrendous ways that to read about, you could not believe that actually took place in North Carolina uh, in the 1700s. Yet those men, their souls rested safely in the Lord and their lives carried that testimony with them to their last breath that they were resting safely in the Lord. And as a result, they were not controlled by a fear 
it's easy for us to start contemplating all the what-ifs. And as we contemplate the what-ifs, we become overwhelmed with an anxiety and with the fear that will consume us. It will cause us to freeze up. It will cause us essentially to go into the, uh, you know, that crawled up in a corner kind of a position with such fear. But when we're walking, hearkening unto all that God has given to us, we're not overwhelmed with that fear. We have that confidence of the safety that God has given to us. Solomon was writing through inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Rehoboam, to prepare Rehoboam to be the king that would succeed him after Solomon passed away. If you know your history from Scripture, you know that Rehoboam rebelled against sound counsel. Rehoboam rebelled against God and ultimately essentially was a wicked king. He, humanly speaking, was the reason that the two nations of Israel split. Uh, he did not heed the counsel that was given to him. But by God's grace, this was written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us today in 2021. And to realize as we have received this, each one of us have the same privilege that Rehoboam had. We read it with the same truth, with the same intensity, with the power of the same Holy Spirit working, and with each one of us with our own free will to make a choice. And what is it that you're going to do today with God's Word? Are you going to say, well, God has stretched out His hand and it'll be there when I need it, but you're not being faithful now with what God has given the instruction on to be equipping and preparing yourself? Or are you doing as Solomon wrote here in the last verse, are you hearkening unto the Word of God that you have that joy, that you have that peace, and you have that comfort that I know that I'm going to dwell safely and I know that I'm going to be able to dwell quietly from the fear of evil. And when we do so, not only does it give a victory in our lives, but then it's a testimony in this darkened world of the grace and the holiness of God and His power.